0: Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors, for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Aria McGee, joined, as always, by the three people, wonderful panel that I've got. Let me introduce them real quick before we get started for the week. First and foremost, and I mean first and foremost, Mr. Jim Heskett. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> not second, but coming up second in this read-in, we're going to go Pippa Warner. Hello. And last uh, not least, uh, Mr. Nick Thacker sounded real committed to that, didn't you? I Those tried. You to I wanted thing, to get it out the right way, man. I didn't want to do that to you. But in any event, we are joined by a special guest today. He has led a pretty interesting life and spent times in such jobs as a nuclear engineer on a submarine, as well as an international arms dealer, which I'm very interested in. Uh, now he's the man behind a company that's firmly established itself in the publishing world, the kindlepreneur himself, Mr. Dave Chesson wow thanks that was a really cool intro <laughs> well thank you thank you how's it we'll going up to
1: it i think
0: you'll be all made right, up I half think. of
2: it maybe it's all it's all fake but it's good intro nonetheless <laughs> right.
1: found it on the back of a mystery novel you know <laughs> well kind of cool
0: yeah two-thirds of us are mystery writers so we're pretty good at coming up with random stuffs off the top of our head about international arms deals so before we get started i usually like to warm us up a little bit and i have a question for you dave i was reading your bio Right, and apparently you like Star Wars enough to have named your son Solomon, okay. right? So, so you can call him Solo, which I think is pretty dope. <laughs> and it says that you remember people's names by associating them with movie characters. So, yeah, my question is, and th- there is a wrong answer to this: uh, What is your favorite movie?
1: <laughs> oh well, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, That's okay. It. yeah, and sound all time greatest for me. It's because it's the character development. I think that's what really established the characters that we really love and that has caused the fandom. You know, the other thing too, when it comes to movies, I always give what I call a critical scale and an entertainment scale where, mm-hmm. you know, you can watch a critically awesome movie, but you're not going to rewatch it because it's like, nah, nah, I'm good. The first time was good.
2: <laughs> but then like there's some movies where
1: you're like, this is a stupid movie, but my goodness, I love it on a Friday night with a pizza, you know? As right. Sometimes you get one that's critical and awesome, but those are like super rare. So for yeah. me, I think that it's got a super high critical score in my book and the entertainment thanks to the T walkers gets it up there a little bit more battle of Hoth. So, yeah,
0: that it's, is a right answer. That is not a wrong be, answer. <laughs> I can't,
2: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I can't, I can't hate on can you for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for you to say something
2: crazy, but I think that'll work, man. That's not the question we wanted you to ask. You know that, right? We wanted you to ask, okay, who are we? If you remember names by association to movie characters, then what that movie character? Am that's what I thought was coming. I want to no, know what the world no, needs to know listen, here, RA.
0: It has to happen after he gets to know us for a little while and then he'll have associations. I can't ask it off the bat. He just saw my mug just, for the first
1: time. Actually, the Dave, she, just tell, tell me, me I'm Skywalker. Skywalker. I could do that one. The way that it works is that when I was going to dinner parties or I had like a big meeting or it was just meeting somebody for the first time, and I, you say to yourself, okay, great how am I going to remember this person? And for me, I can't just say, okay, his name is, you know, we'll say John, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, five minutes later, he asked me, what was his name? No clue. So what I do is I try to like, look at like, I take their name and I associate it with a movie character. And then I visually see that movie character when I look at them and it just pops up immediately. Uh, I I saw that. You ever see the uh, Instagram account called the dad,
0: Mm, mm.
1: it's like oh, yeah. one of my yeah, yeah. favorites oh my goodness they had one where it's like my husband can memorize every line of every movie but five minutes into a conversation he can't tell you the name of the person i was like yeah that's me in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> it sounds so, accurate it sounds like that's, that, it. that's how i do it it's that dad brain well good times well maybe some point in the future we'll get some devices about us and you can tell us who we are you know who jim reminds you of over there in the corner but uh all
2: right right on man Is so jim pinky or the brain that's all i want to know He's the brain,
0: dude. <laughs> Can't the you brain. Take over the world. <laughs> right on. Do it again tonight. <laughs> the same thing we do every night. Okay. Uh let's see. So I feel I would be remiss if I didn't ask you guys at least a cursory answer of what your favorite movies are, you three. Because I never asked you that either. My number one
2: movie is Mighty Ducks 1, 2, and 3. It's all one giant movie. In my mind, it's sort of this multiverse of amazingness. And the second is probably Gladiator or Interstellar. But uh, nothing can usurp the throne of Mighty Ducks. I'm just going to say it. Yeah.
0: I don't know what to say about that. Now, Jim, what yeah, you got, right, man? Nothing. It's just the um, truth. I have two,
2: The Big Lebowski and American Beauty. Those are my two favorite movies.
0: Okay. Okay. Pretty different on the scale there, on the spectrum there. I would say, but legit, legit. pipple, we got.
2: I say, Ocean's Eleven. Really? Yeah. Choice. I like I that mean, one. to rewatch it. It's got details you notice and. Huh. Yeah.
0: I like it. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. And yours? Uh, uh well, I got two. Shawshank uh, Redemption is my mm. favorite movie. I don't think that there is a point in the movie where it lags ever. Everything's important for the plot. The pacing's perfect. It's infinitely rewatchable. I love it, but on the other side of the spectrum, like you were saying, is Roadhouse, which I watch every time <laughs> it's on television. You know, if Patrick Swayze is ripping somebody's throat out, dude, I'm in it. You know what I mean? I am with uh, it.
2: We're going by what you watch every time it comes on, then it would probably be Fifth Element, actually. Oh, of course. comes up. Yeah, I like
1: I said, there's that critical scale right. and the rewatchability mm-hmm. scale. There's, yeah. you know, like, I love Starship Troopers as a movie, but I'm not going to say it's critically (laughs) awesome.
0: (laughs) That's just dumb fun. I dig it, man. I dig it. All right. So I figure that, you know, I may want to just kind of check in with you, Dave and see now I read you in a little bit. What else would you like people to know about you? You know, before we kind of get started, I think that there are probably plans to take over like the indie world. You know what I mean? With all your pot, (laughs) all your irons in the fire. So what didn't I tell people about you? That's important.
1: No, I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, I'm a major goofball. I've got three kids. One is a 21-year-old out of uh, Lehigh University, and I've got a nine and a seven-year-old. My whole goal in getting into all of this was to actually be home with my kids after having been deployed year after year in places where I couldn't bring my family with. So just the opportunity to be able to write and to
0: create has just been a real honor and thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm, Right on, man. You know, I know that you kind of took a path that got you out of the military, Mm. uh, where you started, you know, purposefully making moves for what most of us would call like a side hustle, you know, that you kind of turned into like a full-fledged thing. You know, what was your kind of your thought process as you started trying to make that transition? Because, you know, a lot of people I know would love to make a transition, maybe not from the military, but from the wretched day job and start transitioning out. And so what was your mindset when you were going through that?
1: Well, I think it wasn't something that like seemed nice. You know, I guess it's kind of the difference maker for me. It was a necessity. Like in order for me to be home with my children, you know, and, and to get home and take care of them, I had to do this. So in order to do that, I made a complete shift in the way I lived my life. I started working at 4 a.m. till 730 a.m. every morning, Monday through Sunday. Nothing would interrupt that. And I think that was really important for me because I created a habit of making it an everyday event to build this side hustle, to improve my skills, to research and learn. And if I'd saved it to like after work, there were a lot of times where like work just really sucked and I was tired and I'd get home and the family's either requesting things from me or I've got an evening event that I have to go to. And those things just start to kind of cut into your plan. And then it becomes this thing where you sometimes do it. For me to do it in the morning and every morning, it made it a part of my lifestyle, my habits. And it just kind of developed. And I think that if I hadn't done that, either it would have taken me a lot longer to get anywhere near where I'm at now, or I probably never would have gotten there. And it just would have been one of those side hobbies that kind of happens when it can. I mean, look at how many hobbies all of us have that we really don't do as much as we honestly want to do whether that's scuba diving or hunting or hiking or fishing, right? Well, if you treat your writing career kind of like a hobby, it's going to be one of those things where you're constantly saying to yourself, boy, I wish I could be doing that more often, or I should be doing that more often, and you don't actually. And I think that's really the difference maker between a hobby and a career.
0: Right on, right on. I 100% agree. And if you guys want to jump in before I just blather on, you know, feel free to step on me if you need to.
2: So, well, I I have a question. Yeah. So Dave, I got into this thing back in 2011, 2012, and I don't quite know the exact moment in history when I came across your stuff. But my assumption was that you came not from a writing background, but more of a marketing background with the stuff you were doing. Is that true or... A little bit. When I first started, like I was in
1: Korea at the time, right? And I was on a two year tour without my family. So the military sent me to like a Korean base where it was like straight up, it was a Korean base with no US support. Um, it was about an hour drive in order to go to a US area. I was a Chinese specialist, but somehow, you know, they thought China, South Korea, I guess it works. So I didn't speak Korean. Um, I actually, my Chinese got by way more than my English. I remember my, like my landlord knocking on the door and come walking in and just hand me a phone and I pick up the phone and it's like this really bad English translator it's like hello sir guy here see check place okay and I'm like oh I got it not just some strange that's my landlord got it okay great good to know you know um I mean so it was like it was crazy but when I was there my wife said like what is it that you want to do Is it your life dream to be in the military, be an admiral? I'm like, no, no, really, it's about being home. And so at that point, I didn't want to shift from one nine to five traveling job to another or something like that. So we started looking for an opportunity on how I could get out of the military. Now, at the time, you know, I was like, well, okay, maybe I can start some kind of business. Well, the problem about starting a business is that especially when you're on the other side of the world. You can't do brick and mortar. You can't do anything that requires you to respond during normal daylight time in America, right? I was going out to sea all the time. So it's couldn't be something that needed momentum like social media. And so I started to learn about website development, blogging, and more importantly for someone like me, it was SEO. Understanding the whole purpose of, hey, if there's like 3,000 people a month that are typing this into Google and nobody has the answer, I could be that guy. And I was not an incredible writer. As a matter of fact, I grew up with dyslexia. I always thought I was horrible at it. That's why I went into physics, you know, get as far away from English as possible. But it doesn't mean that you don't like writing. And so when my SEO really started to take off, and I started to kind of understand that, I then pivoted towards Amazon and said, you know, Amazon is just like Google. And the fact that people are going to Amazon every day, they're typing for something, and they're looking for books. And if I can get If I can take that same practice that I had in Google and apply it to Amazon, you know, then that will give me a leg up. And not just writing blog articles where everybody can read that for free, but to write books where people are actually paying money to read. And so when I pivoted towards that, that was a real big change, especially in revenue. And then I really started to dig down deeper and try to understand, okay, well, if I have this initial understanding of how Amazon works and, and their search engine, what can I do to improve the conversion rate of my book? Such as you know, studying book covers, studying book descriptions, other methods of sending people other than just Amazon. And I'm a bit of a science guy, like I really have like kind of that analytical approach. So I started setting up experiments. And I started to look at, well, if I do this, does that work better? Hey, you know, I have these books, when I put this call to action at the end, what happens? And so that's really was a kind of a game changer for me. And at that time, I didn't see any blogs that were talking about that, especially kind of to the level of detail that I'm more akin to. And so that's where Kindlepreneur started. And so at that time, I was making much more money from my books than I was from being a lieutenant commander in the Navy. I finished up my career, or I finished up my tour in Korea. And I wasn't Quite ready to get rid of the you know full-time job that that stable paycheck, you know, it's just a little bit of hesitation, like what if it all just goes away? However, though, I had one more tour that I could do, and that's where I got into the arm ceiling for the US government. I was like, that's a cool one, I will take that. <laughs> I had been studying and preparing for that, I'd been to a whole bunch of schools, and so when that opened up, I was like, Okay, this is a great way to end the naval career. So I did those two years doing that job and Midway through it, I said, hey, this is it. I'm done. Uh, This will be my last tour. And, uh, yeah, transition out. So here I am today. Hmm. Uh, I think it was five years ago I moved here in Nashville.
0: Nice. I'm picturing you like – lord of war like with nick cage (laughs) like crates of like uh ak-47s you know
1: (laughs) you know i'll tell you one of my favorite and this is just getting off subject just a little bit but it's one of my favorite stories is so i actually served the maldives for a bit as well so i would travel out to the maldives and if you don't know it's like some of the most gorgeous islands in the world usually top three scuba diving in the world and i was attached at the u.s embassy in sri lanka and the ambassador says, you know, got really mad because Disney just wrapped up shooting Rogue One. You know that whole beach scene at the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, that's that's the Maldives. Mm-hmm. So he got mad because Disney had just wrapped up shooting, and Disney hadn't talked to him. So he's like, I want you to go tell, you know, go over there, Justin. I want you to tell them, you know, what's going on. You know, like basically, I'm a, I'm not happy, and I'm like, yeah, right. I'm not going to go talk to the Minister of Defense and tell him <laughs> what's up. But I go over there and I start making this joke, you know, about. Uh, we're in this like meeting and I make this joke about like alluding to Star Wars. The Mm -hmm. thing about the Maldives is they don't understand Star Wars. They just, you know, they're used to like (laughs) Bollywood, you know, movies Mm -hmm. and stuff like this. They don't know it's big. Well, the general starts laughing like Jabba and he goes, oh, Mr. Cheston, if I had known that you were a Star Wars fan, we would have had you in the movie. Mm. I was like, I was like, sir, you can't tell me that. He goes, well, there's a problem. They kept looking for stormtroopers, you know that that they needed like six foot tall, but you know they, they were having a hard time finding six foot tall people, you know, and because Maldivians are generally a bit shorter. Mm. Uh, and I was like, sir, you can't tell me that. Like seriously, <laughs> he's like, yeah, they had no problem. Start them.
2: over. Shoot yep. it again. So
1: they so they use the special <laughs> forces in that. And what's crazy is the Maldivians have 24 special force members in their entire military. And I know each one of them personally. <laughs> so every one of the extras in that movie is like somebody I have been like on mission with, hung out with. But I'll tell you this though, my favorite part is that landing pad where that spaceship lands on in the Maldives there. That was something that my office built. So I like to tell people that I have supplied weapons to the Empire and I'm very <laughs> proud of it. <them.
2: laughs> nice. I bet it was fun for the special forces guys to not shoot uh, straight as they didn't. <laughs> actually to.
1: actually the my favorite story coming from them is yeah, here we were on the beach and you know, we line up, you know, with weapons. And by the way, these guys are like legit trained. Like so it's really cool to know that they got like real warriors and the director or the technician or whatever kept telling them, no higher so they raise a little higher no no higher <laughs> no no like up there and they're like what is <laughs> what is this kind of stuff like okay
0: yeah, you know
1: with this little pistol like really but anyways they were all like they had no idea they had no
2: clue how big of a movie
1: that's it was that's awesome
2: yeah well so to transition a little bit and you know, get into kind of what I think we're talking about uh, generally is Atticus, but before Atticus, there's KDP Rocket or Publisher Rocket, and the time I found it, it was KDP Rocket. Was that the first piece of software that you'd had developed yeah, professionally actually, for the it entrepreneur was, thing?
1: Yep. At the time, I was in Sri Lanka at the time that I was working on it, and there was a software out there called Kindle Samurai. And Kindle Samurai mm-hmm. was kind of the only one really in town that did like... What I was looking for. The problem, though, was Kindle Samurai only worked on PC. It didn't work on Mac. It also had a whole bunch of components that were broken. It was never kind of updated. And the programmer, great guy, by the way, uh, I think Ari, I think was his name. I
2: think it was Ari. Was it like a warrior forum thing originally?
1: Yeah, so he was just a programmer who was just kind of jumping from sector to sector, just building something and moving on. And he also, he was Israeli. He didn't speak English. So there was like little to no support. And I was an affiliate of it. And I not only was selling a bunch of it, but also I was having to create like kind of things that go with it to help improve or to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, authors do not want an Excel sheet or a whole bunch of steps not to do this effectively and efficiently. So at that point I knew that if I could create basically Kindle Samurai, but make it work for Mac and PC, that alone would be a major success. But on top of that, to improve it and to have it do more, that was the game. And so at that point I said, why well, I, I really need to find programmers. And so when I was in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka has a phenomenal technical background, great programming. Uh, they speak English as a primary language there. And so I was able to team up with a bunch of programmers and I was very fortunate because there are a lot of crazy hurdles dealing with Amazon. Amazon is not an easy thing to deal with. Right. Um, and luckily I had, I, what I consider genius programmers because they they figured everything out, they got it going. But that was like my first foray into software. And let me tell you, I was like drinking from a fire hose, just learning how to communicate with programmers alone, let alone yeah, design and develop something. And so yeah, so we created KDP Rocket. Later we renamed it to Publisher Rocket because KDP was synonymous with only ebooks at the time, because that was when Create Space existed. Boy, we're starting to yeah. date ourselves, right? <laughs> And on top of that, we started adding book data. We've been still working with Barnes & Noble to kind of include their data in some manner. The problem is, and this will be a little bit of insight on them, is my feeling on the organization of Barnes & Noble is that Barnes & Noble is owned by a larger company, just bought out. And that larger company is kind of like a many-headed Hydra. There's a lot of things going on. And I don't think that the self-publishing world of Barnes & Noble is anywhere near on their attention span, I guess. But the people they have working it are phenomenal. Like, I mean, super talented group that are behind their BNN press. I just don't think they're getting the resources or the attention that they deserve to actually do it right. So we've been in a large limbo with them and we've worked with a couple of other markets, but we figured from a branding standpoint, it would be best to not make ourselves Amazon centric. It also helped with the negotiations as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet last time we talked in vegas dave sorry I, I know those you guys have other questions too i'm just like i gotta get my dave stuff out you know you and i were talking about the potentiality of you buying the programmers or, sorry we're well, not the people you don't buy people of course but um, <laughs> Big, they, what are you saying
0: dude <laughs> buying the company there was a, was, there was, there was a there. war about this man you don't have to get all mad i mean it's not uh, like well, you know lincoln's <laughs> roll over his grave
2: Um, but I don't know if you remember that conversation, but I I thought you had mentioned something about potentially buying a company in, I thought it was in Sri Lanka, um, where all the programmers were working and and using them as like your own development arm for, uh, publisher, Rocket, all that. Is that what ended up going down before Atticus?
1: Yes. That's a big reason why I was able to create Atticus. So that did actually go through. I bought a one third stake in a software development company. The big thing was, was that I've learned like, Let me step back here and say there's a quote by Bill Gates where he says that one above average programmer is worth 100 average programmers. And he's so right. And so when you find a genius programmer, you do anything. And there's one particular genius programmer who he owned a company that was able to develop some phenomenal software for like the United Nations and a whole bunch of other like UNICEF and all these really cool apps at one award. The problem was, is that he had no ability to gain more if you will, projects. Marketing arm was not there. No connection. It was just kind of like, it was sputtering. And so myself and another partner who I've worked with named Bonica, we came in and we basically made it into a one-third, one-third, one-third ownership of the software development company called Paladin. And through Paladin, Uh, We worked really hard to scale up the company and Bonica and myself brought in our own projects that we funded. So it's like, I pay my company to build other company (laughs) projects, you know, but it's like, whatever. And that's allowed us to gain more skill sets as well as as better programmers. And the biggest project that we were working on was developing Atticus. And another thing too is, is that we were able to start building out That software company, I'm sorry, we're going to get a little bit technical here, but that software company is now turned into what they call a software, jeepers, what is that name? Incubator. And so what we do is we now build a software company and when it gets to a certain maturity level, it breaks off into its own company. And so we just released a new one called Rooster, which is an applicant tracking system, think like Workable or Greenhouse.io, but we're centered on like South Asia and Africa instead of like the U.S. market like most. And so we keep kind of growing these companies and they break off. In the meantime though, it's giving me an opportunity to get some of the best talent and that's what's allowed us to start working on
0: Atticus and deliver, so. Okay. And now Jim, did you have something you want to add before I say something?
1: Yeah, before we start talking about Atticus, Dave, I had a question for you about your Kindlepreneur blog. Um, Yeah. I follow Kindlepreneur and I just want to say your posts are beautiful. Cool. And I and I'm not talking just about the content. The content aside, the way your blog posts are formatted are excellent. The way you do a little preview and you have bullet points, and then you have three to four points with subheaders, and you know your blog posts are you know 500 to a thousand words, they're concise. And I was wondering if you had any tips for people on how to present content like that in an engaging way. Yeah, uh, I have this rule with my team. I call it scrollability. Um I believe on the internet most people and I think that you can apply this to either blog posts or even your Amazon sales page. Uh people show up and they scroll quickly just to get a feel for what to expect. If they're a little bit confused or it feels too congested, they hit back and they go somewhere else. And that's just the way it is. That's why for me I want to be able to quickly scroll through an article and have a feeling for where this article is going, what it will cover. And does this answer or address my problem? And if I can't get that from just scrolling quickly, then we need to restructure it. We need to rephrase it. We need to break up the article. We need to shift things over, bullet point, you name it. But there's got to come a point where it feels digestible. And then when people sense that, they dig right into it. Uh, This is kind of what's important with like your editorial review section for your book. Just having a big old block of text doesn't mean anything. And and what most importantly is people don't actually read the editorial review, they read who sent it. So clearly (laughs) knowing that what qualifies the person to say this about your book, those are the most important parts. So structure it where, yep, normal font, But the qualifier of who this is, make that bold, make that right at the end, make it cookie cutter where each one is almost structured the same way. So my eyes can quickly follow and flow and see, oh, wow, that sci-fi bestseller said this, said something cool. Oh, wow. You know, that award-winning author said this. Okay. Clearly people
2: in this industry think, well, you can do the same thing. All minor Amazon reviewer said Amazon reviewer, Amazon reviewer, Amazon reviewer. It's a big deal. Yeah. She's
0: never read my books. (laughs) I dig it, man. I dig it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, Yeah, good tips. Great answers. Okay, so I'm very familiar with Rocket, right? It's something that I use and I enjoy it. I'm very much a Luddite, okay? And that's like a running joke around here. I don't like technology. I don't keep up on technology. I don't know what's happening. So I wasn't familiar with Atticus. And so I'm still not super familiar with it. So can you tell me what is it? What problem is it designed to solve? You know, kind of what's it about, you know?
1: Yeah. So Atticus is kind of a three-part phase, okay? Phase one is what we're in now. And what we've decided to do is basically create Vellum, but better, cheaper, and works on all platforms. And I think right there is a very clear way to understand what it can do. Same Mm -hmm. type of process where it's a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get but we're adding a lot more customization while we'll keeping as simple and easy as possible. We have a lot more features that we're adding in the next couple of weeks, but we really think that we'll hit that end of phase here probably by mid-June. And so that's one component. But the ultimate goal with Atticus though is that as an author, I personally had like, I love Scrivener, but I hate using Scrivener. And then, well, yeah, and I, people are shaking their heads. <laughs> I've used Scrivener since 2007. And I only yeah. know how to use 30% of it. Yeah, But- I still like writing on Scrivener. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm done, I got to export it to a Word document. Then I got to send it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with my editor until, I, until it's good to go. And heaven forbid, I throw in ARC readers. Now I've got to handle all the ARC copies that are out there mm-hmm. or some other program. And then finally, when I'm, Finally, finally done with it. I then have to load it up onto a formatting software, format it. Now, by the time I'm done with this entire process, I've got I don't know five, six, seven, eight Word document mm. versions of the real same
0: final, document. real now final, stay
1: final, <laughs> final.
0: This is the final.
1: I swear, final no, the final. Day. And for some reason, we never delete all the other finals. So I've actually had the pro- worst situation of once publishing a book with the wrong version. Mm. You know, it said final version, but it's apparently final, final version was the final version. Mm. So my thought on this is that there's never been a software that's really combined at all. Right now we're using plotting software, writing software, a different writing software for editing. Um, You know, heaven forbid we're collaborating, we're changing our software for collaborating. And then we're even using a software for formatting. Mm. Because let's face it, Scrivener's formatting is, well, to put it bluntly, there's actually a $50 course on how to format your book using Scrivener. Mm. The program costs 50 bucks, you know, much less how to learn how to format it. So we intend to build out uh, Atticus to the point that it covers all those things. So we envision that authors can write on this. They can collaborate with other authors in real time, like it's Google Docs, except that it's structured and developed for authors. They will be able to collaborate with editors, give them access to edit the file, and it will look like, just like when you do editing on Word document. So track changes, you can accept track changes. The awesome part is you'll never have to leave Atticus And then you can easily format it just like that. And so now you can have one file version and no longer have
2: to have 50 And so is there any version control for that? For like splitting versions like you say, for instance, what if I split this into two chapters? How would that read? Can you like branch off like you would on GitHub or?
1: Not um, yet, but we will. Yep. So in phase one, we're focusing on the formatting component of it. You'll be able to upload EPUB, Docx, change it around we have a bunch of things that we're doing inside of just formatting alone like we want you to be able to create templates so it's very easy to update your back matter like say for you know
2: oh god thank you
1: right yeah exactly <laughs> especially since amazon just announced that they're no longer going to accept mobi files mm. so and i think it's june 28th is when that comes out so there's going to be if an author ever needs to update their book right then they're going to have to completely reformat it. Well, we're setting ourselves up that you can upload the Mobi file and then just start using your templates and quickly adjust or change any of your books like within minutes instead of having to retype or copy and paste and stuff like that. So, I mean, we've got a lot of things that we're focused on to really take and make just the formatting component that much better in the industry. But upon that, we will then pivot towards improving the writing component and then adding the collaboration capability that we're talking about. The writing component, one of the things we want to focus on is writer goals as well as gamification. So we want to help motivate authors to write every day. Some of the fun little features that we're including is that if you set your writing goal and you say it's like 2,000 words in a day, when you hit the 2,000 word mark, there's actually going to be little fireworks that go off in the background of the software itself, letting you know you crossed the finish line you know, little cool timers and things that are built into it to help authors write. The other thing is, is that we will create our own plotting capability that we think will integrate great with the software. But one of the things that's really important to me with this company is that every author is different we will never be able to design the number one plotting software that unifies the entire existence of the writing world. It's just never going to happen. So in order to combat that, we're actually working directly with companies to auto integrate into the software as well. So like, say one of the ones that we're working with is Plotter. I personally love Plotter. I think they've done a great job with it. I think they're going to go places. I really like what they're doing. So if an author is using Plotter, you'll be able to export and Plotter and import right into Atticus and it will take the right information and put it in the right spot so that it's more usable. You could still use Plotter in one window and then us in the other, but you can also have it show up on the right chapters as you design. We're working with Pro Writing Aid, Grammarly, For the Words, Book Brush. That's a big one for formatting because we're doing custom chapter themes. So it's going to make it easy working with book to design something very unique for each one of your pages and just poof, pops right in. But yeah, sorry, I know that was a long winded winded no, answer. No,
0: no. But no,
1: to, to kind of sum it all up, we're focusing on formatting first, immediately we'll pivot to writing and then collaboration capability. But our big goal is, is that we're going to do our own way to do things, but we're going to make it so that authors can integrate the tools that they already love into the program itself.
2: That sounds awesome. You guys have recently just launched in beta, I believe. And you've gotten some attention lately from that launch as well. Can you walk us through the launch and how that went?
1: Yeah, that was uh, fell flat on my face. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie on that one. So there was a couple of things that that kind of went wrong for us. The first thing is, is that we kind of wanted it to be a private launch. And the purpose of the private launch was that we wanted to kind of stress test our systems, have them flex, make sure that it can take a larger load than what we were doing when we were in, in an alpha and an actual, actual beta. The other thing too was, was that we wanted to kind of keep it small so that we could get real feedback from actual authors and make sure that, that this button was more intuitive, that we kept it clean. And we also wanted to work directly with them so that when we added, added a new feature we want to make sure we never over you know the process because let's face it scrivener you know I, I saw that head turn and yep scrivener has a lot of tools the problem is is that you can never figure out how to use them i bought course.
0: it and i used it for a week and i just put it in a folder and i left it alone i never used it again i went back to word man
1: well and i mean but it's not that it can't do things it's just i think what they call the ux the user experience is just really poorly done Things aren't intuitively where they should be. Buttons aren't simplified. You have to go through a rabbit hole of things to find something that should be very common. Mm. The fact that Joe Nicoletti sells a $200 course on how to use a $50 software and he's very successful is kind of an indication that this wasn't user friendly. And so we don't want to add so many features to the program that all of a sudden it becomes this overloaded, bloated, hard to understand things. So we wanted to be very systematic about it. So anyways, we over offered this kind of private beta launch. And apparently, like we failed on a couple of emails, like we sent out an email that really explained all of this. But apparently there was like 400 people who signed up for the waiting list after that email came and before we launched it. So those people didn't get the whole explanation. So a lot of people got it and they immediately turned around and was like, what is this? Like, where are these other features? And it was, so there was a lot of, lot of problems that arose there. Also too, we had such a high surge on people jumping on it that the problem was our email system is called SendGrid just shut down. And so people purchased it and they got an email, but it was supposed to auto generate the link for their account so that when they click it, it would open up their account, you know, and they could put in their password that they choose and then off they go. Um, so it was like, hey, your button's not working, and apparently we had no kidding, forty five hundred lines of communication go within the first forty eight hours. So that's them sending us a message, us sending back, and going back and forth. <laughs> it was so it was it was a bit of a rough day, mm. uh, but luckily we got everything taken care of. As anybody who's ever used our Rocket Support knows, I'm a big proponent of having great people on support. We were able to communicate, work through. We had a lot of issues on a couple of things that we just did not see coming. Also, some interesting cases, like, for example, Windows 97. Did not think I'd have to have that conversation. <laughs>
0: <there's>, you know,
1: <laughs> you would figure, if you talk cool. to
0: me, if you talk to me, you'll have that conversation. <laughs> yeah.
1: The other thing, too, is those who use the browser yeah. version of it, we found that there are certain Chrome plugins or something that just cause it to go gobbledygook, which that was super painful to figure out because, you know, when somebody just says, hey, it's not opening for me or it's freezing for me. Mm. And it's like. Okay, is this a mass problem? And it's like, no, it's just this one. Okay, great. What computer are you working on? I'm on a I'm on a PC. Okay, you know what browser are you on? Like digging down and finding out that this particular Chrome plugin for some reason jacks us up. You know, is a problem. It's like, all right. Well, if you download it, then does it have a problem? Well, no. Okay, good. And so we've we've really and that's what we were looking for was to be able to have those particular one-on-one edge cases to kind of figure out. While in the meantime, we're still adding. Honestly, we're adding like a new feature a day, pretty much. And being able to check and see, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, we're, like I said, in about one to two weeks or so, we'll be coming out with a custom chapter design where you can make your chapter look very unique and be themed, have images. This is something where a lot of people complain about, like with Vellum, because you can always tell a Vellum book, you know, just by looking at it, you know, because they all only have right, a right. Certain, certain combination. Well, this is where you can either hit the easy button with some phenomenally awesome designs, you know, and use those, or you can make something absolutely unique. So we're just, we're working with authors now to ensure that it's super easy. Like here's the easy button. Just do the easy part. If you want to make a good looking professional book and you don't want to have to figure out like changing up your margins or doing this and this, here's the stuff you do. Or if you're (laughs) like, nah, man, I want this book to be super awesome. You know, I want this to have my own spaceship, you know, flying over top of, of the chapter titles. Like Okay, here's your path, and so mm. I think that's mm. that's the most important part.
2: I call so I mean, honestly, team. you said you fell flat on your face, but honestly, that doesn't sound to me like you guys took any missteps. I and mean, honestly, it doesn't sound like a miscommunication. It sounds like a misunderstanding on the part of the people in the beta. I mean, would you like so on a scale of like normal empathetic human to like. Romance writer, would you say that that's true or? uh would, Sorry, I, I just couldn't help myself there. But uh, ouch! <laughs> yeah, so it's I don't I don't know that that was a miscommunication more than just a misunderstanding on well, their part.
1: No, I think it was both. I think there's miscommunication on our part. Like for example, not realizing that we had 400 people sign up after the fact that we sent the email giving people a heads up that next week this is what we're going to do this is what it is. On top of that too, we found out that a lot of people were immediately turning around and giving out the link, you know, to pick it up and so mm-hmm. there were people who didn't have any knowledge about that whatsoever. And so that was that was another problem that we ran into. That was our mistake as well because we also didn't have like a heads up you know, for anybody who signed up. So all of that was just kind of this, this kind of, I guess a perfect storm in that case. But for me, it was just a super huge gut punch because it was like, hi, here's my first impression. And you can't even access the program that I created. Like, I just felt like I let so many people down. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of, I went upstairs like after the launch and I was just like, I want a Manhattan. <laughs> I just, I want to sit here and uh, my wife is like,
2: are you right? And I'm like, I just want to drink this Manhattan. Um, that was my drink of choice. We, that's a good drink of choice. Not going to lie. Uh, honestly, man, I, I think if nothing else, um, I just want to say to you personally, like good job. Because Thanks, I think what you've described is the fear, for example, that I have and why I have not done the types of things that you're pulling off. Now, I mean, I'm also really stupid. That's another reason. But, but it's also the fear, the anxiety that comes with wanting people to accept what I've created. And, you know, this is on a software development side, but even in the book side, I think there's a lot of authors who fear, what if people don't like it? And uh, you're just able to wade into it. And, you know, maybe it's as little as a Manhattan can help you recover from that. So anyway, props to you, man, for doing it.
1: Well, I mean, there was like, there was a little bit of hate that got online, you know, or some people who had never like, dealt with my business or who I am as a person. And and so there and and absolutely they have a right to feel like that we didn't. I think the reason why, you know, I was able to approach it the way I was because everything I've said here, we're going to do. Like no joke. This is a passion project of mine. I've always been behind that. So I don't have any fear about that. The thing for me was I just felt so sad that I let people down. You know sure. that, yeah. and but I, I think a lot of people. The, the coolest thing about it was a lot of people even said on social media of like, you know, hey, I've seen what Dave did with Rocket. Like, I believe,
2: and I'm just not going to yeah. let those people down you know exactly and I, I think I mean, been at it for 15 is... years if you're scamming us it's a really long con right yeah man. I'm <laughs> so I, I, yeah game. it's like what's the long game here again i don't think dave's out to, to get our money you know right i think a lot of the people
1: that have maybe never interacted with me there's a lot of people that don't even know that i'm the same guy that's behind the three things and so that might have been a big part of it but like i said the key is is that it was a bit of a stumble out of the gates. We've really recovered. I, we've really improved a lot, added even more. And I think the other thing, too, is a lot of people are so used to it taking months, if not years, for software like Scrivener or Vellum to either add a new feature or to update their PC version. You know, I think that a lot of people were fearing that this would be a program that would take like a year to finally fix itself and yet we got the ship righted in less than a week so
0: right on well that sounds really good you know i know i'm interested you know as someone who likes the uh, intuitive nature of rocket you know if you can kind of deliver that to some of these other things maybe it'll be enough to get me off of writing on word i don't know we'll see so I want to kind of start uh, pushing us towards the end. You know, I know we, we're running up to a stop here. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Dave. But the question I want to ask before you get out of here is your, your bio says that you started to understand why some books succeed and some books don't. If you had to give me maybe two or three quick points that we could give our listeners that you see that are the most common things that books are doing wrong, either in the actual book or their marketing, what would you say? I know it's kind of a weird on the spot question, but.
1: Oh, number one is a book cover. Okay. Um, a book cover makes or breaks a book, no matter what your marketing is. I've seen book covers where maybe, matter of fact, I just saw one today, where the person, it clearly is a good book. It clearly has a lot of backing. The person is probably an expert on the subject. But the book cover looks like they just threw it together on Canva. Like, mm. I don't, if you really want people to take your book seriously, you have to take your book cover seriously. Because that's the first real impression right out the gate, you know. and Having a great book cover greases all the tracks, makes all of your marketing efforts that much easier. You could be a master Amazon ads expert. You could be phenomenal at networking and arcs and launch teams and promotions. But if your book cover is confusing, it's not clear what it is. It doesn't look professional or you skip some things on it or you went cheap or your title looks like it's, or your title is Comic Sans for Pete's sake or something like that. Mm. I don't care what happens, you're probably going to fall flat. So I would say your cover needs to be excellent. I would also say too, I used to not be as high on book descriptions. I used to think that people didn't really get into those. And then Amazon ads kind of proved me wrong on that. I saw the difference that changing up your book description can have. Because people will see your book cover, they'll click on the book, And your book description is kind of that last hand, that last moment, you know, it's like the elevator pitch uh, and that's truly the way to look at it. You've got the elevator pitch situation. And I've seen where I would almost say most authors usually don't really write the book description until that last moment. Like, you know, you put it Mm -hmm. off until it's time to publish and then you go into KDP and then you're sitting there like, oh, I got to write that book description.
2: Mm -hmm. That's That's what I think, Jim, and say, write the book description. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. What, but it's also the thing I think most authors hate doing the most. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's, I actually practice my book description like the day that I decide I want to write the book. What I mean by that is, is that when you're at a party and people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an author. They're like, what do they always ask? What do you write? Yeah, you're right. That's where my book description comes out. I start testing it right then and
2: there. I try to <laughs> In get a the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, like, well, John got hit by a pixie, stubbed his toe on a nasty mushroom and fell into a vat of boiling acid. And that was before lunch. Mm. And you just see the eyes go like, and like, okay, that's working. Or, mm, <laughs> you know. And, and, you
2: say, and I have to go write this now. <laughs>
1: But you see what I'm saying? Like it's a shocker, and then you're like, yeah, it's actually it's about a cop where it's kind of a mix between the you know, and then all of a sudden I start losing them. I'm like, oh well, mm-hmm. dang it, no, no, because you know I'm like, well, it's about a cop and he was doing this and okay, so and it's kind of weird to like start reading your book description, mm-hmm. but you know what though, you can watch their eyes and you can see how entertained they are, and that's where you know you're going right or going wrong, or if they interrupt you in the middle of it, or if they start looking off, you know, like oh, who else do I. Who else should I talk to? You know, um, <laughs> that's the moment that you're like, yeah, I got to work on that. And so by the time I'm done with it, you know, I've got a pretty solid layout, and yeah. uh, especially the hook. The hook is the most important part. That first line or two, right at the top, it's got to be what I call the mic drop moment. You know, the thing imagine that, the Da Vinci
2: Code, but better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you try you that. Pitch.
0: Try that <laughs> and see what happens and then yeah. try something else. <laughs> right on, right and on. I
1: usually I usually like to leave the kind of itis at the bottom. So yeah. more like if you like Starship Troopers meets Firefly, then this is going to be the adventure book you've been looking for. That's kind of like when you read this and you might have been thinking, "Hmm, this book could be that." I like to end that so it's to solidify that yes, this is the book you were looking for, you know or you are my people. If, if you agree with this and believe me, you're going to like it. So, but yeah, that's, that's the way that I really handle it. So to answer your question, honestly, don't skip on the book cover or the book description, because again, if you don't have those two things down, all of your marketing efforts, no matter how good you are, are
0: going to suffer for it. So that's good stuff, man. Sage advice, sage advice. So before we get out of here, I think Jim really wants to know what movie character, <laughs> what movie characters we are.
1: See, here's the problem, though. I know you guys, so I never like associated with it.
0: Okay, fair enough. See? Fair enough. See, it's like, it's Frodo, Frodo Baggins, Jim. Like, you're, you're Frodo Baggins.
1: Like, yes. There you go. And no, no, it's not about the look. It's the name. So it's got to be a name of a character, and then I superimpose them on you. So it couldn't. It might be something that's like it might even be a different gender if it's one of those names or something like. It could be anything, but it's like when I see Jiminy the person. Cricket. It triggers, yeah, it could be that. I'm, um, I'm Prince
2: Philip from the it Crown. could be. <laughs> Good. It Jim is. Henson. I'm just going to put a Muppet over you. you <laughs> know, and- probably the Witcher right. for me, right? Like the Witcher, uh, uh, the Henry Cavill Witcher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, handsome. Probably- so handsome. So well, right. you know handsome. You said not about looks, not about looks. But if it were about looks, henry cavill from the witch right I mean, so henry yeah, at a writer Ray,
1: conference i'm like looking at everybody and
2: it's like muppet there cavill <laughs> there you know
0: If go to writer Cabell- con you're like that's the go
2: yes the guy from wally in the chair that's also the guy from wally in the chair that's the guy from wally in the chair that's the guy from wally, in guy from wally who's in the chair <laughs> terrible
0: terrible, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well all right guys i think we've had a pretty good uh pretty good show i want to say thank you uh, today for coming on and chatting with us, man. I really appreciate yeah, for real. it. Thanks man. Stage. You know, Thanks Absolutely. for all the, uh, all the, the tips and we'll definitely be looking forward to seeing how Atticus develops. And, uh, you know, yeah. some of us have high hopes for the easy button. Mm. I'm not going to mention any names, but some of us have high hopes. <laughs> so, uh, if none of you guys have anything else to add, it doesn't look like you do. All right. I'm Ari McGee saying, thanks for joining us. And this meeting is over. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our interview with Dave Chesson. He is able to be reached at a number of locations. The best place to get a hold of him is Kindlepreneur.com. That's Kindle, P R E N E U R.com. And I know from personal experience that he gives away a free class about Amazon ads. I've taken it. It's a very, very, very solid primer into the world of Amazon ads. So if you're looking for that, give it a shot go sign up for it take it soak in some of the things that he's got to offer because dave is a force for good in the indie world thanks for listening we'll catch you next time